It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.08 News Talk WSB, 54 degrees outside. It is 1 p.m. in Rome, Italy right now, which is where I just returned from with a group of 28 wonderful gardeners here in Georgia. I was just commenting to our guests that we saw Italy at part of the peak of its blooming time in the spring. There were wisterias there that were enormous, big, giant trunks. You couldn't, couldn't put your arms around. Wisteria cascading over all the arbors and pergolas and trellises they could find over there. Really, really pretty to see the, the wisteria growing. They also had lots of citrus, lots of um, uh, olive trees were growing just about every patch you could find. Somebody would have an olive tree in the backyard. Somebody has a little lemon tree in the backyard. It was a fabulous time to visit Italy. We went to Positano, Palermo, Naples, Sicily, Rome, went to Pompeii, went to Mount Etna. Whew. Wow, do we have a good time. If you're interested in going on one of these trips with me, you can go to my website, click on the Contact Walter button, and say, hey, hey, put me on that list to make sure I know next time when you have a trip planned. My guest this morning is Clint Walsh, Dr. Clint Walsh, I should say, who is Turfgrass Researcher, head of the Turf Team at the University of Georgia. And if you have a question about lawns, this would be the time to ask it, because whenever I answer a question about lawns, I'm thinking to myself, what would Clint say? Those, that's what goes through my mind. What would Clint say? Because I've heard him say it before, but I want to make sure I say it like Clint would say it and accurately to represent what he said, what he's learned, and the research that he's done. Welcome, Clint. Thank you, Walter. So, Georgia has a big turf grass program, right? We do. Uh, it's one of the largest in the country, actually. And uh, yeah. we've got about 25 faculty that have some responsibility oh, wow. in, in turf statewide yeah so 2025 faculty so. and you just got all that big money to go build your facilities in Tifton and Griffin and uh, Athens, Athens so well we're just finishing up uh, that 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 build so uh, there was the 2014 legislative uh, or, or general assembly uh, appropriated some money for facilities enhancement statewide yeah. facilities enhancement project and some went to Athens for our teaching program to build uh, a teaching lab and, and greenhouses. And uh, some money went to Tifton to upgrade our research facilities and greenhouse facilities down there. Um, our, our folks down there were actually still working out of the same same greenhouses that Glenn Burton used back in the 40s and 50s to develop Tifway Bermuda grass. Right. So it's about time to bring those into the modern era. And then a uh, similar kind of thing where we have a majority of our turf faculty in Griffin um, and uh, we put the entire turf team under one roof to to promote uh, some collaboration and, and work on grants together and and, and bigger projects. And uh, we're already seeing the fruit of that uh, as as we've been in the building only since August. So. Speaking of Dr. Burton, one of the things that I don't think citizens know about turf at the University of Georgia is that you bring in a lot of money. You earn money by patents for the various kinds of grasses that have been developed by the University of Georgia tur turf team. That's correct. Uh, you go back in history when Dr. Burton around, a lot of those were public releases. So th there is no, no royalties or, or anything generated off of those. But our newer grasses, absolutely. Uh, Maybe some of the newer grasses we might uh, recognize. Uh, Tiff Tough is probably our newest one. Um, before that, Tiff Grand. Mm -hmm. um, on, on the golf side, things like Tiff Eagle. Um, which is a, a putting green 
cultivar yeah. of, of Bermuda grass. Uh, some of our tall fescues, so uh, southeast, which isn't in production anymore, yeah. would be an example of one. Uh, some of our paspalums, our seashore paspalums, uh, uh, Sea Star, Seal uh, Supreme, Seal 1, Seal 2000. Uh, for the centipede world, Tiff Blair. Tiff Blair from Blairsville. From right. Tifton. It was, it was bred between Tifton and Blairsville to in, improve the cold hardiness of, of centipede. So every one of those grasses, when they are sold, you're paying. The, the retailer is, is paying on behalf of the taxpayer a little bit of money as a royalty to the University of Georgia. Coming back and helping fund our programs, absolutely. Wow. So, cool so it's, deal. It's, it's a really good model. It's one that's really envied by uh, a number of other programs across the country. Patented, patented plants, bringing in the money the University of Georgia. I promised Rob that we'd get to him in a minute and t- talk to him about his Zoysia plugs, and here it's his turn. He's on the air. Here's Rob from Milton, Georgia. Hey, Rob, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Good morning, Clint. Uh, congratulations, Walter, on your Thank nomination you, to the Radio Hall of Fame. What's up this my, my question is I put some weed and seed fertilizer that has a pre-emergent for crabgrass and a variety of other uh, weeds uh, on my lawn last weekend, and I want to know how long I have to wait before I can put zoysia plugs in areas where I'd like the zoysia to expand. The label should tell you most of what you need to know, but I want to ask Clint for his you know, personal evaluation of how much. What weed color did you put down, Rob? Uh, I followed the directions on the bag, which was, uh, I think, four and a half. Well, the setting on the, the spreader was four and a half. Yeah. And which which uh, brand or which chemical did you put down? Um, the brand was Vigoro from okay. you know big box store. Sure, it, it probably contained one of the dinitrile type herbicides on it. Spell that word dinitrile. Don't 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 ask don't me to do that, Walter. Word. That's 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 not fair. A type of herbicide that so is common. It, it is. We, we we refer to them as as the DNAs uh, on those. And and thing on that is and to help him answer his question. Those generally will wind up moving into the upper, say, half, three-quarter inches of soil, and then they're bound by the organic matter and the clay so content of the soil. They that. don't really go any further down than that, so they don't leach beyond that. So if he's putting his plugs in, and his plugs are, are true plugs, and he's burying them, say, inch, inch and a half, two inches deep, yeah. then the rhizomes off those those uh, plugs in that zoysia grass will be below that, that blanket, and, and they should be fine. But if they're up above it, then obviously the roots will come in contact with that, that herbicide he just put down, and uh, they, they will be nubbed off as well. So um, plugs is a, is a good solution for what, he's, what he has done. Seed would be a bad solution. Okay. What, what plug, where did you get the plugs, Rob? I get it from the other part of my yard where it's spreading, and I don't want it to spread. Do they have good roots on them? Are they relatively well-rooted plugs? Yes. They are. I usually take about a, you know, about a eight to twelve inch plug. Oh well. Wow. Oh great. Yeah. So you should be fine on that. Um, uh, you won't see a lot of it creeping across the soil surface. And uh, the other thing about these type of pre-emergence herbicides is you're going to get about a ninety to one hundred and twenty day kind of residual off of them. So it, it'll be sometime late summer before you see the stolons across the top actually tack in. But doing those big plugs like that yeah. makes you have really good success for the whole plug surviving. Yep. And then when the pre-emergent sort of dissipates and disappears in 120 days, then the stolons will start spreading out around your plugs. you start having a, a foot filled in zoysia lawn. Well, that's that's the goal. And, yeah. and thank you. It was very interesting learning about your program at the 
University of Georgia. Uh, sounds like a great model. It, it really is. And a lot, not a lot of people are aware of how much money from all the departments of the. Uh, the University of Georgia Ag Department brings in, but there are a lot of other plants besides turf grass that are patented that when people buy them, they're contributing a royalty to the University of Georgia. We make a lot, a lot of money that way. Clint, do you have any idea how much total money the university brings in from the College of Agriculture? Um, I've seen that number. It's been several years. It's, and, and it's in the multi, multi It is, absolutely. It's but a lot of money. Between peanuts, and, and peanuts is the number one. Yeah. Um, uh, most was it something like ninety percent of all peanuts grown in in the country are Georgia oriented peanuts? So we wind up generating royalties back off of that. It's it's an tremendous number. And you mentioned blueberries earlier this yeah, morning. Sure. Uh, that's that's one of them generates uh, Good royalty dollars too. Scott Neesmith there in Griffin, mm-hmm. Georgia, right next door to your turf turf facility. Yep. Belinda comes to us from Stone Mountain. Hey, Belinda. Good morning. Good morning. How can we help? Yes, I'm trying to find out more about my Bermuda grass as far as. Uh, timing for aerating, overseeding, fertilizing. Oh, that's a good uh, is now question. Now the perfect time. Let me get get Clint to weigh in on that, Belinda. What do you think, Clint? Uh, um, where are you from, Belinda? Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain. Okay. Um, I'd probably wait another two to three weeks. Uh, where we are, okay. soil temperature rise uh, right now. I'd be a little little hesitant. I think we're on the on the right trajectory when it comes to to temperatures and environmental conditions. But uh, for, our, for your Bermuda grass aerification, I'd probably wait another couple of weeks uh, for soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth to consistently hit 65 degrees and, and be on the upward right swing. Right now, the soil temperature is around 59, maybe 60 in some hot spots. But the soil, because the soil is so cold right now, Belinda, when you aerate the soil, you're making a great a place for the roots to grow where they really don't want to. They're too cold. They're just sitting in there thinking, oh, is winter over yet? <laughs> and until the soil warms up to mid-60s, then the Bermuda can't take advantage of the aeration. So why not wait till the 1st to the middle of May to do it? Okay. What's the hearsay about uh, 80 degrees for uh, Bermuda as far as the, um, the um, seeds? I guess germinating and actually is it time... I think the same thing. Wait, wait for a while. We need to be nice and warm, nice and warm out there before Bermuda or Zoysia or Centipede. Any of those seeds want to germinate. They want to be warm, comfortable, thinking about the summertime. That's when you put the seed out there. That's wonderful. Well, then there's something that might help you. I might want to mention this to you. If you'll go to my website at WalterReeves.com and type one word, one word only in the ca- in the search line, type the word calendars because it'll take you to a page that has a calendar of everything you should be doing to Bermuda grass and for other listeners to soysia and fescue and uh, centipede, the rest of them, what to do in which month, which month not to do it in, that sort of thing. And that might be fun for you to have to tack on the side of your carport wall and have a little reference of what to do when for your Bermuda grass or for other listeners for your other kind of grasses you might have. Those calendars were based on a calendar that you-know-who, Clint Waltz, made for me many, many, many years ago. So it's very useful to give people those and let them use it for themselves. It's 718 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the Lawn and Garden advice you need. When I wake up in the morning, love. The sunlight hurts my eyes. 
something without warning. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Very comfortable. It's sunny today. Uh, tomorrow as well, by the way. High today. About 75, low of 47. Sunday high of almost 70, low in the mid-40s. Your full weekend forecast comes within 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Don't forget, tomorrow you get your Sunday edition of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They have been holding City Hall to the fire, and I am loving it. They are doing a terrific reporting job on City Hall questionable conduct on our previous mayor, and that is really, really, really lots of fun to read every day. The Sunday edition of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, don't leave home without it. It's 725, and Denise in Villarica joins us. Hey, Denise, good morning. Hello? Hey, Denise, good morning. How are you? I'm well. What's up, Denise? Um, I love geraniums, and I buy these beautiful, big, potted geraniums. And they look fantastic for about a month. Yeah. And then they, by mid-July, they look leggy and ugly, and you just want to throw them out. Yeah. But yet, I see other people with them bushy. I do um, take off the, the dead blossoms, but that doesn't seem to be doing it. I was made fun of. I was mocked, as a matter of fact, at the supper table last night, Denise, when somebody said a word that included, or a sentence that included the word Pinch, P-I-N-C-H, and I was mocked for the way I pronounce it, which is pinch. And everybody around the table said, pinch, what is pinch? Well, Denise, I want you to go out and pinch that geranium back a little bit when it's young, when it's only been growing outside for a couple of weeks. Go ahead and take the tips of some of the branches out before it's really covered in flowers, when you get some of the branches that don't have any flower buds on them, and just clip it out with your thumbnail and pinch the geranium back so it's not as leggy as it might be otherwise. Okay, so just keep pinching them back. Yeah. Again, you don't want to affect your flowers, of course. Fertilize appropriately. That gives you more flowers and more recovery time for the leaves that you have uh, pinched out. But it should look fine by midsummer. That's the secret to geranium growth is pinch out the tips of the branches occasionally and make it a little more compact. Okay. Can I ask another question? If you've got 32 seconds worth, go ahead. <laughs> okay, real quick. I love wisteria. I have uh, a pergola-type porch. But it gets a lot of shade. Could I use wisteria on that? You can. It might be better for it because it wouldn't grow so fast. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you so much for your time. Denise, thanks so much for calling. See you soon. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. It's 727 at News Talk WSB. Dr. Clint Walsh here, turf expert from the University of Georgia. If you've got a question about lawns or gardens or turf, call us now, 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 7.35 on a Saturday morning, 54 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape, bring you a little happiness by telling you if you're not happy in the landscape, in your lawn, in your garden, you've got too much landscape, lawn, or garden. Be happy, my friends. We teach you how to be a better gardener and have more success however you define success. And if you want to be successful with your lawn, you ask the expert, which is what I do. Dr. Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia is here this morning to answer your gardening lawn questions. If you have one, 404-872-0750. We deviate a little bit from lawns to get some of the other questions out of the way. Mike is down in McDonough and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Mike, good morning. 
Hey, how you doing? Hey, man, all right. What's up? Good on propagation question. I also like to try to sneak a long question in if I have time since you have the expert there. Speak. Um, I have a mus- uh, muscadine vine that's splitting right where the V is, where it goes down each wire. Got it. And one side is dyed. And the other yeah. side looks fine, but I don't know how it's living because it's just barely hanging on to the V. Yeah, yeah. And when I pruned them this year, I left a couple of the runners real long, and I was wondering if I could uh, uh, root some of the long runners to propagate it again or if I'd be better off just buying another bare root and starting yeah, over. Yeah, you're a smart guy, Mike. Um, are the runners long enough that you can bend them down to the ground? Can they touch the oh, soil? Yeah, they're huh? six feet long. If they, yeah. Gosh, if you can do that, you might even make two uh, grapes out of that one long runner, if you could make it sort of, I don't know, like a Loch Ness monster, like, you know, you take it and tack it down to the soil in one place and then let it come out of the soil and then tack it down about a foot or two away from that and let it come out of the soil again, it will root where you tack it down to the soil with a brick and a handful of dirt. And if you wound it a little bit, put some rooting hormone in there that makes it root a little bit faster too. And as long as it doesn't dry out during the summertime, many times they'll root both places. And when fall comes, you can get a pair of clippers and clip it off of the mother plant. And then you have one, maybe two little grape, grape vines you can use to replace the one that you have. Or, you know, honestly, grapes aren't that expensive. You can go buy another grape, Mike, for $20 and be fine. So do I need to scrape off a little bit of the bark where I put it in the ground? Yeah, just a little bit. Just a very light scrape with a dull knife. Put a little rooting hormone on there. I was just curious which method is fastest is about, you know, producing grapes again, whether it's cutting uh, them. Going go to the store and buying a new grape. That's definitely faster. Because you get more mature uh, form, better root system and all that. Gotcha. Okay, do I have time for a long question real quick? Since go, you for have it. The go for uh, it. I have an old centipede lawn, 30, 40 years old, that just, you know, never had any work done to it. And I was wondering if there's some kind of uh, general rule of thumb uh, as far as percentage of weeds where you just need to R&R and R and start over again or if there's, you know, uh, a method to try to attack it without doing that, the, the lazy man, the method of getting your lawn back in service. <laughs> um, so you got an old centipede grass lawn that's that's weedy? Is that what I'm interpreting here? It's got, you know, it's got sections of clovers overtaking in, some fescues creeping in in different spots, you know, so I just didn't know if it's salvageable or if I just need to start over kind of thing, if there's you know, hey, if it's more than 10% weed, start over or something like that. Or No, really don't have a, a percentage like that. Uh, I guess you get some point where there's there's a point of diminishing returns where you, you have enough weeds and it's kind of start. But if you, you've got enough centipede that you're calling it a centipede grass lawn, I'd, I'd try to remediate that before I try to reestablish it, quite honestly. And, okay, um, like I said, there's sections of clovers and some broad leaves. And what's, what's your mowing height on, on that? Uh, I think it's supposed to be, you know... Just a couple inches for centipedes, pretty short, isn't it? An inch and a half is where I like to see centipede mode. And uh, so that may be enough to kind of put some stress on some of those weeds. Um, it, it won't take care of the clover completely, but uh, that'll stress that out some. And uh, and then keep your fertility down a little bit. Uh, centipede only needs a pound of nitrogen per thousand square foot per year. So I like to see three one-third applications uh, of, of fertilizer. So a lot of times I'll think first of May mid-June, 1st of August, about every six weeks. Um, in McDonough, you might want to think about mid-May. Um, let me do the math here. 1st of July and then mid-August. Um, so, again, about every six weeks. Uh, and, and with that, then we might add in a little bit of a, a broadleaf herbicide once the grass is actively growing. 
read the label, make sure the herbicide is, uh, you know, is supposed to be used on centipede. Some are, some aren't, yeah. and some rates are more appropriate for centipede than others. But make sure it's actively growing first before we get too too crazy on that one. So I, I would wait until mid-May to late May before doing that. Any brand or anything you recommend? or nah, look for Bayer, Bonide, and Ortho, any one of those, just read the label, make sure that's the right thing Absolutely. for you. All right, super. Thank you. Great talking to you, Mike. Thanks for calling. Rob in Loganville joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Rob, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. What's up? Um, I got a couple of quick questions. I got a rose bush, standard rose bush, as a gift, and uh, at this time we cannot plant it. Will it survive in a pot? Yeah, man. They got roses all over the world in pots. You can do it. You, even in Loganville you can do it. Um, how okay. big is the pot? Is it a plastic uh, nursery pot or what? Yeah, um, yeah, right now it's in a nursery pot, but how big, how uh, is big do it I need? Three gallon, or is it a smaller? Oh, nursery? yeah, it's a three gallon. And is it one of the knockouts, or which kind of rose? No, it's, no it's not a knockout. It's just a if you were rose. pretty good at uh, watering during the summertime, didn't let it dry out in July, and if you keep the bottom of the pot out of the sunshine so it does not get heated up by hot sun during the summer, even to the extent of just putting paper aluminum foil over the pot so it doesn't get so hot during the summertime i think you could plant it or keep it in the pot until it's time to plant sure you could okay and and we need about a 12 foot privacy plant hmm. what do you recommend emerald green arborvitae would look real nice some of the hollies can look real nice uh nelly stevens holly is good um, and I'm, 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 there's two or three nice, nice hollies that would work nicely there. Emerald green arborvitae is what a lot of people use for 12 feet high. It's about right. It, it was sold usually about six feet tall as a nursery. Anyway, in a few years, it'll get up to 10 or 12 reasonably quickly. Okay. okay. All right. I appreciate it. Great talking to you, Rob. Thanks for calling. Thank, thank you. Eric, finally, somebody I want to talk to that really has some information I do not know the answer for. Eric, come join us on Lawn and Garden. How are you doing, Walter? So what did you find out about the bags on the peaches, Eric? I uh, got the bags in, kind of curious when you think I need to go ahead and put them on. How big are your peach fruit right now? Uh, about the size of a quarter. Have you thinned them? Have you started taking the you know, thinning the peaches so you only have one every four or five inches on the limb? No, I have not. That's your first job. First thing to do is to thin the peaches. And the, the reason we thin peaches and thin apples and other fruit, too, is because if you have all those fruit on one tree, the tree doesn't have enough leaves to supply the energy, the sugars, and the things that the fruit needs to sweeten up. And so by removing some of the fruit, you're making the tree have better, heavier, sweeter peaches for yourself. So the general inches. rule of thumb is just try to have one peach every five or six inches down the limb. And I don't think I'd bag them until they were maybe ping pong ball size, a little bit bigger than that perhaps. Okay, because I got out there this, uh, yesterday, and I saw maybe something like a bird or something been ticking at about three of them. Oh, man. And I went ahead and took them off, so that's why I was kind of curious. If they're already attacking, it wouldn't hurt my feelings to go ahead and do it now. If you think the birds are coming onto the, the fruit right now, after you're thin, go ahead and bag them. Sure, sounds good to me. I'm excited. <laughs> and you're going to keep me informed the rest of the summer, right, Eric? Yeah, Dad, and I'm going to take pictures, too. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. Send them to me. I love research being done by my listeners. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Walter. We'll see you soon, Eric. Thank you so much. Yes. It's 743, and Nick gets his turn. Nick Sutton. Where's Nick? Demarest, Georgia. Hey, Nick. Good morning. Nick. Nick and Demarest, where are you? 
Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. It's it's Mitch. In oh, my hey, day. Mitch. Good morning. <laughs> What's up? And well, I I was told by one of their big box stores that you needed two uh, holly bushes in order to make them uh, to grow. And I was wondering if that was true. I didn't really need two, and I really I lost one. So, uh, you know, I was wondering if what their statement was was true on that one. Do berries matter to you? Uh, no. I mean, I this one wasn't a pointy, you know, pointy, pointy limb one, you know, with the berries. It was, I didn't even know what kind it was. If you don't, if you don't this, care about berries, don't really need to see berries in the wintertime, you can use one just fine to have berries. For most most hollies, you do need two. The male pollinizer and a, a female to receive the pollen and makes the big berries. The only exception to that is the Burford holly, which does not need a female, not need a male. It is parsing the carpet, makes its own berries all by itself. But if you wanted berries, yeah, you got to have a male. Okay, that makes sense. Well, and my other question is, um, I've got that corner where I had the other holly, and. What I need is uh, something. I want to put a rose there, and I won't. I'm not a very good landscaper, lawn guy, so um, I need something that minimum uh, of care that I can plant, and you know, uh, it'll be pretty hardy for that area. You want a, a vine? You want Mitch? Some kind of vine? I, I, more of a bush, probably. It, it would be better than a vine. How tall do you want it to be? Uh, anywhere from three foot to maybe six, seven, eight foot. I, it it you know, doesn't you matter. Can't, you can't get a hardier, more care in uh, plant that needs less care than a Laura Petalum. They have purple leaves on them. They have pretty pink flowers in the spring. You plant it, you forget about it, and next year it's you know planted two feet high. Next year it's three feet high. Next year it's four feet high, depending on the cultivar that you buy. So I would say run to a nursery and say, show me the labels on all of your Laura Petalums and make sure you don't get one that says, this is a 10-foot high, 15-foot high Laura Petalum, because they have those. Get the one that says five feet high or whatever you want. Okay. How, how do you spell that? L-O-R-O, Loro, P-E-T-A-L-U-M, Loro Petalum. Okay. Got Very it. common at the nursery. There's a green one that has white flowers, too, but the... Purple one's what I see mostly that people have, and they're real pretty in the spring when they bloom. Yeah, I think that'd be what I would want. That sounds perfect. I appreciate your right. help there. Mitch, great to talk to you. See you soon. All right, thank you. In the next half hour, we've got questions from Daryl and Jefferson. says, is it too early to aerate and seed for zoysia? I know Clint Waltz has an answer for that. Mike and Ashworth says it's different between Bermuda and Zoysia. Is the Zoysia tougher than the Bermuda grass? Mike and Clint will have his answer for that as well. Blake in Cleveland has brown spots in his combination Bermuda fescue lawn. Clint will have an answer for that too. And Don in Kennesaw wants to kill Dichondra in his tiff green Bermuda. And Clint will call on you for the Dichondra question as well. The next half hour full of answers, questions from other people, and answers from Clint Walsh, our UGA turf specialist from at Griffin, Georgia. He is right here in the studio with us this morning. Our phone number, 404 
And we'll be back right after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Sunny today and tomorrow comfortably high, 70 degrees today, low 47 overnight. Sunday the high almost 70 degrees, low in the mid 40s overnight. Still a little bit chilly right now, which your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSV. My guest Clint Walsh is here from the University of Georgia turf team. Mike and Ackworth join us on Lawn and Garden with a good grass question. Hey, Mike. Good morning. How are y'all? We're doing great. Doing What's great. Up? Great. I've got two um, about 12-month-old uh, field-bred English Springer Spaniels that are wild children, <laughs> and they have torn up my quarter-acre backyard of Bermuda uh, over the winter, and I'm trying to decide if zoysia might be a better choice. Clint, what do you think? Which is tougher, Bermuda or zoysia for dogs that are tearing it up? Well, let me back up just a second there, uh, Mike. Uh, tell me how much sunlight you have back there where those, those Springer Spaniels run around. Well, we, we do have a, 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 a wet spot in the in the center of the yard that kind of needs some drainage issues. But overall, it's, it's pretty good sun. It's uh, builder grade. The house is about where I think we're in our third season of the Bermuda. It's just that it, they tear right through the the side and, and uh, sure. by the middle of winter it's it's mud right um well the reason i asked for that is is that the sunlight's gonna probably be the bigger bigger determining factor as to how well either one of these species might would do um if you've got eight hours or better of uninterrupted sun in in the summertime my guess is your bermuda grass could come back it's it's a rhizominous grass so you have rhizomes or, or below ground stems so mm-hmm. while it got wore away in the wintertime when, when it was dormant um the the rhizomes I should bring that Bermuda grass back. So if if you've got good sun, odds are good your Bermuda grass will come back and, and it'll look fine. And and, and uh, now the traffic from the dogs is still gonna be there, but I don't know that zoysia grass will handle that any better uh, on it. Bermuda just grows faster, recovers from damage faster, mm-hmm. depending on the amount of sunshine the grass gets. If you've got pretty good, you said pretty good sun, Mike. Then if you've got pretty good sun, the Bermuda I think with the plant is going to be the better choice. So, the other other thing to consider that I've seen this is just a uh, uh, observation. Zoysia grass tends to, if if you did go that direction, you you'll see more of the, uh, the spots in the yard where the dogs go. Uh, zoysia grass will tend to show those spots more so than the Bermuda will too. So you could get some little brown spotties out there where where your dogs do their business. I got gotcha. you. Well, we were just wondering if if we could mitigate the. Uh the damage in the uh, winter and uh, also what they bring inside in the winter by maybe possibly, uh, uh, you know, going over to zoysia. So. Yeah, sounds like Bermuda may be your best choice there, Mike, because other, other than overseeding maybe with ryegrass in the wintertime to keep the grass green and growing, but that's a whole other situation I'm not going to get Clint involved in right now. That's something maybe to think about, too. We'll talk about that another time. It's 7.57 at News Talk WSB. Here we are with Clint Walsh, UGA Turf Specialist. Our phone number is 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. <laughs> 